time. Hope, on, I would hope that we were going to get, get an ambulance. And they're talking to somebody. They got to get him out of the ring. Please get an ambulance. <laughs> One alone to darkness. Solomon, come forth, my son. The only one for me is to take the nature boy out. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to May of 1995, a volume one of this month's show. Volume two is a WWF show looking at In Your House. Volume three is ECW. This is volume one. Uh, welcoming, firstly, Chris White. Chris, hello. Hi, Bob. How you doing? Um, very well. And a return, long time no speak, to Craig Wilson. Craig, hello. Greetings. Uh, Craig, we will catch up with you properly at the end of the show, uh, but we'll start off with the news. Craig. Yep, so uh, Ric Flair returned to in-ring action on the losing side at Slamboree. He teamed with Vader and lost to the team of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. The heels regained their heat thanks to post-match attack that saw Ric Flair blocking the figure four on Randy's father, Angelo, who was at ringside after his Hall of Fame induction. Uh, the quartet will headline the next two pay-per-views with Flair against Savage at the Great American Mac in June and Hogan facing off against Vader at Bashney Beach in July. Elsewhere, on a largely uneventful evening, the Nasty Boys won the tag titles off the Harlem Heat, and Arn Anderson ended Alex Wright's undefeated record. We also saw the genesis of what seems to be a new stable called the Dungeon of Doom. This will be led by Kevin Sullivan and include Avalanche, Kamala, and a seven-foot wrestler, Paul White, who appeared briefly on this show. Slamboree is WCW's annual Legends celebration and included their Hall of Fame inductions along with a Legends match that was shown in black and white. While Dick Murdoch and Chief Wahoo McDaniel had by any standards a very poor match, the company inducted uh, seven people into their Hall of Fame including Dusty Rhodes, Terry Funk and Angelo Poffo. The big story away from the pay-per-view was the walkout of Steve Austin at a TV taping at the beginning of May. Austin was asked a job to the Renegade but refused. Further persuasion didn't work and Austin ended up leaving the building. A couple of days later, at the same set of tapings, Austin was talked into doing it by head booker Ric Flair. It's believed Flair offered to reform the Hollywood Blondes in return. One of the most anticipated collisions in a long time will take place next Sunday. Let's hear from Ric Flair better with Arn Anderson about the tag team match at Slamboree. Hogan, you stuffed your foot in your mouth this time. You jump out of the pan and into the fire. Ladies and gentlemen, if you will, let me introduce the three greatest wrestlers to ever step in the square circle. Have you heard? Have you heard of the Fab Five of basketball? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're looking at the big three. Arn Anderson, the enforcer. Vader, the intimidator. And Mr. Ric Flair himself, the greatest World champion that's ever, ever lived! Hogan, the Hulkamania, the greatest test, May 21st, 1995. Brother, you come ready, you come prepared, bring whomever you want! 
It's the big three. We showing up live. You may fill out your own home turf. I know he's got you brainwashed, Savage. But Hogan, if you have told the renegade, I know he's young and he's dumb and he's strong and he's stupid. And you've told him, yeah, eat those vitamins. Eat clean. Train in that gym. We can take these three guys. I'm telling you about that dangerous element of surprise that we're going to bring to you. Understand one thing. You stick your head in. I'm going to drive your head in that mat with a DDT, and you're going to end that match in about five, six minutes. That's right. Enjoy it. Why is that? It's the last tango, boys. It's the big It's Sunday night. Family, when you talk about legend, you talk about us. When you talk about life, you talk about us. Sunday night, you belong. We start with WCW Saturday night on May the 6th. Dallas Page is out with Max Muscle and the Diamond Doll looking to buy a car. He buys cars for both Max and the Doll before picking up a Lamborghini for himself. The $240,000 price tag, nothing for the newly rich Page. We're in the midst of the US title tournament. Randy Savage defeated the Butcher in his opening round match. He will face stunning Steve Austin in round two. After the match, Flair and Anderson come out to jump Savage, but the Renegade comes out. Then Vader comes out wielding a chair, but Hogan blindsides him faces keep the heels at bay. Hogan cuts the promo after the match and says their secret weapon at Slamboree is none other than Angelo Poffo, Randy's father. On WCW main event the following evening, Paul Ordor defeats Johnny Bad using the ropes in the US title tournament match. On to May 13th for WCW Saturday night, we cut to Randy Savage chatting to his father on a lake. Angelo says that deep down Flair and Vader know that they cannot defeat the Monster Maniacs. He warns that they might have a plan and that Randy should be cautious. Big Brother Rogers was disqualified in his US title tournament match against Alex Wright by chucking him over the top rope. Wright advanced to face Ric Flair. Sting came out at the end of the segment to run off Bubba. May the 14th on main event saw the Butcher face off against Kevin Sullivan. For some reason this was seen as a preview of their match at Slamboree, which will also be a singles match. Butcher is now going by the name of The Man With No Name. No explanation has been given for this. Shockingly, the match ends when Avalanche attacked The Man With No Name and the pair double-teamed him. Ric Flair made his in-ring return, in the US at least, by defeating The Patriot in the opening round of the US title tournament. Surprisingly, perhaps, Flair required interference of Arn Anderson to get the job done in a very long match. On May the 20th, Eric Bischoff is on the golf course looking for some comments with DDP and the Diamond Doll. We briefly find out that Doll's real name is Kimberly before DDP arrives and is unhappy with Bischoff. Question. The Doll. We then see the pair, along with Max Muscle, on the course. Max hits the ball so hard at one point it disintegrates. Randy Savage is on the beach with his dad, Angelo. He tells Randy not to trust anybody. Savage decides that he's going to swim to the Bayfront Centre, so he, along with a number of other beachgoers, jump into the sea as the segment ends. In the main event of Saturday night, Sting defeats Paul Orndorff in the US title tournament match. Just seen him in action. Very impressive, I must say, here on the main event. Come on in, if you would, Earl of Eaton and Lord Stephen Regal. Sound the horns, the British are coming. Can you believe the idiocy of WCW allowing those overweight oafs, the nasty boys, to have another title shot? Are you people complete idiots? 
I mean, the thing that I'm hoping for is that these four undereducated, complete lunatics beat each other to death, and you know who care? Not one single person, not even their lousy little filthy mothers will care what has happened to them. Myself and Robert are on a pledge from the Queen, and we intend to be the world's tag team champions. Robert, let's find something better. And we come back. We will not start with uh, WCW Slamboree. We've got to start with the main event that Ed and me hour prior to the show. Lord Stephen Real, L. Robert Eaton, defeated Los Especialistas, a pair of masked Mexicans in the opener. Suddenly Steve Austin won a squash. The Nasty Boys cut a promo on the stage, but then got laid out by Regal and Eaton, who attacked them with chairs. Ric Flair, Vader and Arn Anderson come out for a promo. Eric Bischoff comes out on the video wall and Hulk Hogan, Rowdy Savage, Angelo Poffo and Jimmy Hart arrive. Vader says that Hogan has to meet two people he's never met before and introduces him to his biceps. The segment comes across quite awkwardly with both parties talking over each other but it seems like they're both up for a fight this evening. Craig Pittman wins a squash. We get an advert for the WCW Power Plant, their training centre. In a US title tournament match, Meng defeats Brian Pillman in a very decisive fashion to advance to the semi-finals. After the match, Road Warrior Hawk runs out and clears the ring of both Meng and Parker. Hawk and Meng stand off uh, each other before being kept apart by various wrestlers and officials. During a promo by Hawk, Conor Parker comes out with Nick Bockwinkle. Bockwinkle makes the match with Meng tonight, which pops the crowd. Bockwinkle does seem to confuse Hawk with Animal, though. And we move on. WCW Slamboree. Craig, kick us off with the results. Yep, in the opening match the Nasty Boys of Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags defeated Harlem Heat to win the WCW World Tag Team Championships. Then Kevin Sullivan defeated the man with no name formerly known as The Butcher. After that there was the Legends match which pitted Dick Murdoch against Wahoo McDaniel with Wahoo McDaniel triumphing in that one. Then the Great Mutu defeated Paul Orndorff to retain the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Arn Anderson then faced and defeated Alex Wright to retain the WCW World Television Championship. Meng then fought Road Warrior Hawk to a double countout. Then we cut to the WCW Hall of Fame inductions, which included Wahoo McDaniel, Angela Popo, Terry Funk, Antonio Nuku, Dusty Rhodes, Gordon Soley and Big John Studd. Sting defeated Big Bubba Rogers in a lights out match and in the main event Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage uh, with Jimmy Hart and the Renegade at ringside defeated Ric Flair and Vader who had Arn Anderson in their corner. Chris, what do you think of this show? Well, I hate to be so negative right off the bat but I really didn't enjoy it. It had, like, the card didn't look too bad but after watching it it just had no right being a pay-per-view like I thought it was terrible really like it, it would have been maybe passable as like a TV special or like a clash or something like that but it had so few positives it really did Craig Get, getting this evening's podcast off to a very consensual start I'm very much in agreement with Chris it was it was a really really poor show it, it didn't help by what, what came across as a very slow and plodding start to the event usually want sort of a, a quick match to start with and then getting into meat and bones but it, it just got off to a very slow start and uh, struggled to pick up and struggled in fact and failed to pick up afterwards uh, I, I don't know whether it's just 18 months of being worn down by WCW pay-per-views but I didn't think this was quite as bad as you guys did that's not to say I came away with a a positive impression, um, but I thought there were, were certainly some uh, 
decent matches, certainly no better. Um, but I think for once we can say that WCW booking here was stronger than it usually is, which was a positive. Um, yeah, I mean, Craig, me and you back in the day, you know, sat through WCW shows, not only were as bad as this, but also featured some far worse booking and match finishes than we got here. Oh, absolutely. Um, there was no dusty finishes. So, I mean, if, if you are going to uh, find a, a, a silver a silver lining, then it is the fact that there was no sort of preposterous finishes. It was just... It was it was just a little bit of a chore to see that this event felt it didn't sort of you didn't really want to watch it you sort of felt begrudged to continue with it. Yeah, no, I, I I'd agree with that. Um, but no, I say in terms of what I thought the actual when you look at the show in terms of what they move forward, I thought they did quite a good job. But yeah, I think it would be fair to say that you didn't miss much on this card from 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 an action and an, an evening point of view. Uh, anyway, uh, we start with Eric Bischoff, who's deputising with Tony Giovanni, who's not there. And we open up with the Nasty Boys versus Harlem Heat with Sister Sherry. Sags walks out alone. Nobbs is still setting the attack from the pre-show, so he's not out for the start. And Sags will take on the Harlem Heat two on one. Sag gets the best of the early offense on Booker T, hitting a clothesline that sends Booker flipping over onto the mat, which pops the crowd. Sags then charges at Booker in the corner before taking on Stevie Ray and hitting a double DDT. Then hits Sherry off the apron, which livens up the crowd. Sag goes to the top and drops a fist. He's dominating the match despite the numbers game at this stage, and takes it to Sherry and knocks her off the per- uh, off the apron. Sherry gets him uh, on the outside and takes multiple shots. Ray drives him into the guardrail. Booker T hits a jumping scissor kick with the heat fully in control, then hits a senton from the top rope. Sags is laid out in the ring and the duo are toying with him at this stage. Sags finally manages to hit a pile driver out from nowhere, then outrubs Brian Nobbs, who's perhaps a bit too speedy given his injuries. That said, uh, they said that Nobbs had left two doctors laying backstage. Nobbs gets a hot tag and runs them off. Sherry climbs to the top rope, Nobbs catches her jumping off of it, drives her into the mat and then dumps her over the top rope to the outside with a very vicious looking bump. Nobbs then hits the running power slam, Sags drops the elbow from the top and we have new tag team champions. The Blue Bloods come out into the R weight in suits, the Nasty Boys do a post-match promo saying that the Blue Bloods want to be number one contenders, they've got it. Craig, what did you think of this opener? I, I, I liked it at the start, I, I, I liked Sags sort of taking up... Him fighting the, the two off at once, but then the the sort of middle period I just thought was quite dull when the the pair of them overpowered it, and then it and then it finished on uh, a, a reasonably hot finish. I, I have to say it did include uh, Nobbs hitting what looked like one of the worst bulldogs I've ever seen, and then as you alluded to in your uh, in your review there, a, a very sick throw over the top rope of Sherry, which just looked. It looked very dangerous. Uh, yeah, so it started well, finished well. It was just the middle that I had the sort of biggest issue with. Yeah, if there's one thing I've learned from this show, it's don't underestimate Sherry's ability to take a, a ridiculously over-the-top bump of yeah. someone in her position, and this certainly uh, fit that bill. Chris, your thoughts? It was okay, but no better. Uh, this, these two teams are no strangers in like the pay-per-views leading up to this one, are they? If, like They faced each other quite a lot, and... Compared to the matches I'd seen between the two teams, this didn't compare to the ones I have seen. Um, the handicap angle was okay, and like maybe they did do that like to mix it up a bit, make it feel a bit more fresh. But I didn't think it was particularly good, really. It was okay. No, I mean, of all my problems with this show, and I, I'm sure 
you, it will be reflected in what you guys say later on as well. This wasn't really one of them. Uh, I actually kind of feel like this match could have been the opening match of what could have gone on to have been a far better show, depending on what followed it. Um, but in terms of, you know, again, this, this is kind of the, this is how I summed up the show. The action wasn't great, but the actual storytelling was pretty good. Um, the, the two on one, you know, handicap attack, Sags gets the best of the early going, and then we have that, alright, that, that perhaps flat middle period, but you kind of had to, you know, that's, that's heel two on one advantage by the book. It's, you know, they're toying with them, they're taunting, you know, they've got the match won, they're just being cocky and complacent. That, that made sense even if it wasn't brilliant to watch. And then Nobbs came out, whipped up the crowd, did some cool stuff with Sherry. I thought this was pretty good. Um, Craig, I mean, what, what, what do you think about the, the, the nasty boys who got them as tag champs now and their and their baby faces? And I'm presuming last time you were on the show, they were probably heels. Um, what do you think of them in this role? Because I think they're pretty good. The, the crowd were into them. So, I mean, on, on that simple basis, then they're doing they're doing something right. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily mind the nasty boys. I mean, they're very much a case of you get what you expect, you will get from them. And that that's the sort of same for the match itself. Harlem Heat versus Nasty Boys. I mean, it was the sort of match you'd, you'd absolutely expect. I I, th- I think they're fine in in a babyface role. I think it was very much eighty two with uh, Brian Obsey's running at the end, which, like you said earlier on, was uh, was very much uh, not playing up to, to any injuries that he had. I think I think they're fine in a in a in a face role, and I, I'm not. Terribly convinced by the strength of Harlem Heat as field team, but um, I, think, I think Nasty Boys are a fine enough sort of upper mid upper tag team. No, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think you know some people might be wondering why they've they've moved away what into the Nasty Boys against uh, against the Blue Blood so quickly, given that you know theory goes that Harlem Heat should have another shot. I think the short answer to that is, as Chris alluded to, is that these guys have basically been fighting each other for the last six months. Um, and now you've done the title change. While it might logically make sense to have another match, I think that it was right to move them on. Um, but no, I, I again, I, I think the Nasty Boys are are doing really well to get the most out of their kind of quite limited talent. And they're not great promos, they're not great talkers, they're not great in the ring. Um, but they have something, and particularly as you know, last time we saw, I think when when they were heels, I probably would have balked at the idea of them being baby faces. But they're not bad, and, and Craig, as you, as you said, the, the crowd work was certainly into them. Chris, any further thoughts on this for me, Uh Not really. Like, I I do think maybe you're being a bit taking it a bit easy on it. I, like it was it was okay at best, really. But I, I'd agree with what Craig said about the nasty boys playing baby faces like I, I like i mean at the end of the day getting the reaction from the crowd is kind of what that role's all about and they certainly do that better than most other people like on the card really all the way through like so yeah uh, I, and i get the sense and we, we will find out as we want i get the sense that the uh, the umbrage with the first half of this show won't ultimately lie with uh, with this open as we move on. Kevin Sullivan, my friend, come on in. Tonight you're going to be facing the man with no friends, no name, not too much. Uh, just a second, Kevin, please. Kevin, this man has not been normal. Normal, perhaps a bad choice of words. Whenever I talk about Kevin Sullivan, you're going to be facing the man formerly known as Butcher. That sounds like Prince for some reason. I'm not afraid what, what, of Butcher. What, what is it with you? 
Gene, do you feel cold in here? You are disoriented. I don't feel cold. No, it's warm. It's 85 degrees. Who are you kidding? You know, Butcher, or the man with no name, I told you not to show up here because it wasn't what I feared that was going to happen to you. It's what I feared that's going to happen to me. I haven't slept in the last five days. Butcher, I'm going to take everything. Are you sure you're not cold? You know, this uh, may be the old story of what goes around comes around because, Kevin Sullivan, you've ruined a lot of people's lives as of late. I don't have to tell these fans. I certainly don't have to tell you. Look what you did to this man. You, you, he's, he's now totally useless. The whole problem was with the butcher or the man with no name is that he still believes in Hulkamania. This Hulkamania that you really believe, all you have to do is say your prayers, take your vitamins, and believe in yourself, and things will be right. Well, butcher, man with no name, it ain't gonna happen. And Gene, there's something wrong with you if you don't think it's not cold in here. It, well, it's not cold, gentlemen. It's not cold in here, is it? It's, 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 it's warm. It's maybe 90 in here. Go. You're going the wrong way. That's the men's room. Uh, so Kevin Sullivan, who's backstage with me and Gene Oakland, ahead of his match with The Butcher, who's who's now called The Man With No Name. But um, yes, for the sake of brevity, I'm going to call him The Butcher because it's stupid otherwise. Uh, Sullivan says there's a problem that he still, uh, that uh, Butcher still believes in Hulkamania. Sullivan also keeps claiming that it's cold and uh, generally doesn't seem to be all there. It's a bit... Bill all over the place. Uh, Craig, quickly on this, what, what do you think of this? I mean, it's difficult to discuss this now, given what's going to happen in a minute. Um, but but Sullivan playing a bit wacky heel all over the place, convincing. It it just seemed a bit weird, and it it was like, what are you doing? Type stuff. It it, it was quite difficult to follow, it, it, and I, I don't think that Mean Gene was a, a, a that that good a foil. In, in saying no, it's not cold. To Kevin Sullivan saying it's cold, it just it just didn't seem to it just didn't work. Yeah, I, I get the sense we can file this under. It made sense even though it didn't make sense, or because it didn't make sense, just because of what what follows. It, it, it might have worked if if uh, Mean Gene had been more open open to whatever they were hoping to achieve from this, rather than being like. Yeah, no, Kevin, it's not cold at all. And it just, because of that, it just was like, what's going on here? Yeah, um, but Kevin Sullivan does play that, that role quite nicely. Anyway, yeah. we, we, we come to the match. Uh, the man formerly known as the Butcher, the man with no name, versus Kevin Sullivan. Uh, the two waste no time going at it. Butcher attacks Sullivan on the outside. Butcher does a ten punch in the corner before going for an eye gouge. The action spills to the outside again, and the pair exchange chops. Butcher then hits a pile driver, but can only get a two count. Butcher then runs at Sullivan in the corner, but Sullivan gets out of the way and takes control, hitting a running knee, then a double stomp on Butcher's chest. Bizarrely, that's enough to win the match. So something quite significant after the match, but we will come to that in a second. Chris, your, your thoughts on the, on this rather brief match? Uh, I mean, maybe the fact it was so brief is somewhat of an excuse, but there's not really too much to talk about. It was a, a non-event, really. I didn't feel like I had a reason to care about the match. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't really enjoy it, really. I feel like I'd be very negative in general, but it, it ended abruptly, And but maybe that wasn't such a bad thing. <laughs> Craig, uh, Chris didn't feel like he had a reason to care, and I get the sense the people in uh, in the crowd didn't either. Uh, and me. Uh, my notes ended with mercifully short, and at one point during this match, I just 
sort of started thinking of other things, such as if he's a man with no name, who did he make the paychecks out to? And then I just quickly remembered that I didn't really care. Yeah, no, that, that, that is at least a fair point, if nothing else. Um, but yeah, th- th- there's going to become a, a common theme with the next three matches, perhaps four, in that we've got a lot of baby faces who are not only not over, but don't seem to be all that keen on getting themselves over in front of a live crowd. That If there's one thing we can say about someone like Hacksaw Jim Duggan, for all of his faults, is that he has a very paint-by-numbers way of whipping a crowd up and getting them behind him. Um, and we can we can line up Butcher with the guys that follow is guys who don't. Um, and that doesn't help, because when the crowd are flat and the action's crap, there's really nothing to say. Um, but the one thing I will say about this is that there are occasions in wrestling where when you're setting up for a big post-match angle or perhaps something significant, um, you, you have kind of a, a period of, uh, of nothing. Uh, and then we set to this. Really had control of this contest for about 70 or 80% of the time. Oh, wait a minute. Look at that. Who is that? From the bowels of New York City to the Champs-Élysées in Paris to the slums of Singapore, hope the maniacs all wearing the red and the yellow, the army of the immortal Hulk Hogan. Have gone into the people. He's getting out of here. He's terrified of that man, whoever that man is, or whatever he is. One late, one alone, to darkness, Solomon, come forth, my son. We cut to the video wall to a bald guy who is. Kamala in, in an underground setting it looks quite cold uh, he cuts the promo that you would have just heard uh, Sullivan escapes into the crowd and the figure on screen tells Sullivan to come forth. Craig this is the thing called the Dungeon of Doom that we referenced in the news um, I don't I haven't I haven't really got any opinion on it at the moment it was just so bizarre a bit like the Sullivan promo before the match um, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to think I, I guess from my sort of professional background in, in uh, public relations, you just you look at things and you're like, if you're left wondering what's actually going on, then it's not very successful. And I was left wondering what's going on. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, I, I get the sense that you know. <laughs> I, and, and, and I do, and I, I, I totally get that about this. I mean, you could look at Kevin Sullivan's history and just be like, what's Honestly, what's this all about? But I, it, it it just seemed really weird that he, the 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 guy, the guy appeared on the on the main screen and Kevin Sullivan just disappeared through the crowd. There didn't seem to be any explanation. You, the, the, you sort of wanted the 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 commentators to to explain a little bit more of what was going on. And I th- I think a lot of the failing of this segment, and I'd probably mark this down as a failing. Uh, sorry, as a failure, uh, is the fact that they, they didn't really put across what was going on and why it was happening. Chris? It was just strange. Like, some really weird old man in a cold cave moaning about 
Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. Like, I don't. What was Hulkamania ever done to him? Like, he's in a cave. Like, I just, just, just really strange, and not, not in a good strange, not in a mysterious. I want to see. Oh, I wonder where this is going. It's really obvious where this is going, and I'm not really sure I want to be on board for the ride. No, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can forgive the announcers not really elaborating on what happened, given that you know the idea is it's meant to have come out of nowhere. Um, I, 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 I'd also say credit to what you said in the sense that. I think I think part of the design was that you are meant to confuse people, but I, I think the the hope is that you confuse them in a way that intrigues them. Um, but as, as I think Chris said, I, I'm not sure they did. I, I'm not okay. sure. I'm not sure the crowd care enough about Kevin Sullivan or Kamala or Paul White. Although Paul White's over seven foot and he, he'll he'll appear later in the show. He he wasn't in this bit. Um, I, I'm not sure. There was enough here to hook people in as like, oh, okay, I actually need to know more about this. Go on, Craig. I'd, 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 I'd totally agree with that. The, the, the idea that if, if you had sort of people that the, the fans cared about, they'd be like, oh, c- kind of keen to see where this goes. Uh, but instead, you're just being like, you're sort of left wondering what's the point of all of this. So you, you, you've already got the angle off to quite a, a sort of negative footing rather than oh, I wonder where this is going, you're left thinking, what are they possibly doing with this? So I think it's sort of doomed from the outset, but we'll see in the coming months how yeah. badly doomed it is. Yes, yes, we, we will, we, we, we certainly will. Um, the, the, one, the one thing before we move on, the one thing I will say is that the visual of, of, uh, of Sullivan kind of leaving the ring, going up through the crowd into the stands... The wide angle on that, and Sullivan like almost looking like he was under control by someone else. And I know that's some very, very advanced storytelling, and I, I wouldn't go there. I thought the visual was quite good. That would be one one positive for all this. And also, I would also say that I am more interested in Kevin Sullivan now than I was before the match. That is to say that I wasn't interested in before the match. Um, so in a way there are a couple of positives, but yeah, there, there was a lot of missing while they hit this mark. I will say that. Um, but I guess we'll see, you know, it's, it's the first of X number of chapters. Um, and they don't always make sense first up. Um, anyway, we, we come backstage and Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage cut a promo. Hogan eventually invites Savage to enable him to quote, smell the slim Jim breath, which Savage obliges. And we cut to, the Legends match, it's Dick Murdoch versus Chief Wahoo McDaniel, and it's gone black and white. Yes, they have literally turned the screen black and white for this Legend match. And we've also got Gordon Soley uh, on commentary. Dick Murdoch, for those who are keeping score, is making his second pay-per-view appearance in 1995 after appearing on uh, the Royal Rumble. Uh, the pair lock up. McDaniels does an arm drag, then another. Murdoch takes control in the corner. The, pair, the pace of the match is very slow. McDaniel hits a chop, which lines up the crowd. The pair exchange blows. Murdoch drags McDaniel to the apron, then hits him with multiple elbows. Murdoch climbs to the top, grabs McDaniel by his hair, then drives him his back into the mat with his knee. Murdoch drops an elbow for a two count, but the Chief hits a chop, and that gets enough for a quick three count. Chris? Oh, I get the idea of a Legends match. Like, that's fine in itself. That idea is quite nice. But at what point does it just become embarrassing? for the guys working the match like it was so slow and then just a very regular chop just as enough for a pin like I, like 
it's just a bit of a joke, really, to be on a like a national level pay per view. Like, I like, I'm not saying they didn't try hard because like clearly they did, but at what point is it just more sort of offensive than doing any positive whatsoever? Craig, it's sort of difficult not not to really agree. It's a it's a legends match featuring two guys that sort of really struggle to fight their way into the category of being a legend. It's a very slow-paced match. It has a nondescript finish, and the fact that it was just in black and white was just a little bit weird. For me, though, for me, despite all that criticism, it does have the sole positive of this this event for me, and that's Gordon Soley teaming with Bobby Heenan call a match. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would add it being in black and white as the only positive from this match. Um, you know, we, we go back two years to Slambury 93, which is technically the genesis of, well, this project, the podcast started a few months later. Um, the first, certainly the first full show I watched. Um, and that show included, uh, Dory Funk Jr. against Nick Bockwinkle. Nick Bockwinkle, of course, now is commissioner fame. Um, and yeah, we're talking about two genuine legends there. You know, Dory Funk, you know, NWA world champion. Uh, Craig, did Bob win the NWA title? I know he's an AWA guy. Um, but, but, Craig? I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, I, I don't know if you're, you're asking me that question in terms of going to check this. But no, I'm, I'm pretty sure he did, but he is best remembered for. For his uh, for his time in uh, AWA, yeah, AWA in Japan. Either way, either way, it, it, it's not, it's not that important. But two two guys known for the ring wing work and known for being genuinely big stars. And then we come to this match, and this is Dick Murdoch, a bit fat, not particularly. I don't particularly strike me as a guy who was ever a great worker back in the day. People feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. And Chief Wahoo McDaniel, another guy who didn't strike me as as the kind of guy who's a great worker back in the day both a bit fat, both working this kind of match that I don't even think this match would have been a good match 20 years ago you know, you've always got to you've always got to watch matches from back in the day and kind of appreciate that, you know, this might not work in the modern day era but, you know, if it drew back in the past then it was still quite effective I don't think this was that um, and yeah, just, just a miss a genuine miss um, a swing uh, a miss, absolutely yeah, and, and and again, I think the only policies were, one, the black and white thing was certainly different. Um, and it was certainly memorable in a way that this match wouldn't have been for otherwise. Um, and Soli was a nice touch. But otherwise, just a proper... And, and the worst thing, Chris, the worst thing about it all was that the crowd were absolutely dead. Did, like, did In terms of calling this a Legends match, it didn't come across like the crowd really knew who these people were. Like, oh. it, like just really, really poor all round. Yeah, and 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 this this and and the net the previous match and to a degree the next match kind of comes back to what I say about the opener. In that at least we have the nasty boys one trying to be baby faces in an overt way that these guys weren't being, and two we had a crowd that. Yeah, judging by the opener, certainly wanted to be loud. You know, you, you'll go into certain places where you'll get guys like Jim Duggan and the Nasty Boys guys who will quite overtly and, and not very subtly try and whip up the crowd. Um, these, you know, and, and they got a reaction out of this crowd and these guys didn't. And, and that I think is to a disservice. And yeah, I, I think this match was, was awful. I think that's the only way of, of, uh, of summing that up. 
And we're back in living colour, and it's Big Bubba Rogers backstage. He talks up his victory over Sting from March. And we move on to the IWGP Championship match. It's the Great Muta versus Paul Orndorff. Orndorff gets into an argument with the referee as the match begins. Orndorff and Muta exchange some technical holes to begin the match. Muta does a, the slip sign across his throat. Orndorff motions to him that he can kiss his ass. Orndorff does a spinning back kick and sends or, um, Muta to the outside. Orndorff escapes a sleeper into an arm lock. Muta hits a lovely drop kick and then uh, drops a quick elbow. Muta then locks in a head scissors. Orndorff fights out and hits a back suplex, then sends Muta over the top rope for, to the outside. No disqualification for those keeping count. Uh, before choking co- uh, Muta with a camera cable. Still no DQ. Orndorff locks in uh, a back and neck submission. Muta rallies, goes for a drop kick, but Orndorff holds onto the ropes. Muta gains some control and drops an elbow from the second rope. Orndorff sets for a pile driver, Muta hits a backdrop, then hits a lovely fast moonsault from the top rope, and that's enough for the victory. Craig? I think the 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 worst thing about that review that you've just done is the the miscalling of moves because of course you refer to drop kicks and of course that's a jump double kick whilst the spin kick from Uta is also a jump back side kick. Yes, <laughs> referring to uh, to Eric Bischoff on commentary, Chris. I know you had a bit on this as well. Yeah, the 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 jump double kick. With, with like pauses and all, just really, just really poor, and like it was a reflection of what was going on in the ring. I, I, have, I have two responses to that. One, Bischoff's not wrong. It is called the drop <laughs> kick, but but jump double kick does very much fit the description of what Muta was doing. Um, and secondly, we are in an era led by Vince McMahon on commentary in the WWF, and at least Bischoff was trying to call moves. That that is a tick in the box. It, 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 it is an absolute tick in the box, but what isn't a tick in the box is it being 1995 and Paul Ondor getting a 15-minute match in a pay-per-view. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, we, we, we will come on to the match. I mean, this this was a very weird pairing. I mean, the, the, this match hadn't particularly been hyped up on... Uh, uh, on TV beforehand, so much so that I, I kind of forgotten about it. If well, if they even mentioned it all that much, and so Muta came out, and I think I knew that bit was coming, and then it was like Orndorff, that wouldn't have been the guy I put him with. Um, but yeah, this this was a really strange match in the sense that it almost seems like they were setting up Muta to have a bad match. They put him with a guy who can't particularly work well against his style. He's not young enough or, or quick enough to do that. And also, they, they certainly worked the match in a way that suggested it wasn't even set up to get Muta over, um, which I guess, you know, you've got a Japanese guy in your promotion for one match. Maybe you, your ultimate goal isn't to do that. Um, but, yeah, go, go on, Chris. What, what were your thoughts on the match? Um, it wasn't... Well, it's probably... For me, the best match out of the four we've seen so far, but that's more of a reflection on the show than any sort of quality this had. It was really slow. There were a lot of chin locks. Like, it was, like, all, we were sort of being told Muta was this, like, high-flying martial artist, and he was about four inches taller than Orndorff. It was a bit, like, it just didn't really work. Craig? Yeah, it, it just seemed like a sort of clash. It, like Chris says, it's, it, the description of the match and the, the the way it came about just didn't didn't seem to work, and it, it just seemed very wrestled central, and it just it sort of continued the the theme of 
the this the pay per view being quite boring because I mean great, great Muta as great as he might be clearly doesn't really work very well with Paul, Paul Orndorff and I mean how show circuits are the sort of things that are designed to to iron out kinks and and guys working together and I mean there were there were more kinks than anything else in this one. Yeah, I mean, you, you wonder how good a match Muta could have had with, say, Brian Pillman. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that I think, would have been something that could have worked together a, a lot more strongly. Um, but, yeah, I, I, again, a weird pairing. I mean, that being said, if if my history is correct, and Craig, this was the, uh, the last show you did, um, I think Muta was at Spring Stampede last year against Austin, and I remember that match not being very good either. Um, although that being said, that was the worst match on a fantastic show. Um, yeah, no, I remember that as well. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. Whereas this was just a, a pretty poor match and a pretty poor time. And, and Craig, we've also got the thing where, and, and again, this comes back to the man with no name. This comes back to um, Wally McDaniel as well. We've got Muta, and, and this also crosses back to Antonio Inoki about six months ago. We've got Muta in the kind of babyface role. And it just doesn't work in front of an American audience. I don't know whether if, if you were in front of an audience that knew who he was, or maybe he was put in a match against an opponent that one could, because Orndorff wasn't Orndorff wasn't particularly great at drawing heat here, which was surprising a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of felt that this was this entire thing was set up, and maybe this isn't the strangest theory in the world. It feels like Craig, this entire thing was set up not to get the best out of Muta because there were so many things logistically they got wrong. I, th- I think the point that you make, uh, Bob, is, is absolutely right. I mean, we, we saw him taking on, uh, sorry, we saw Great Muta taking on uh, Steve Austin last year, and th- we, we just weren't sort of, we we were hardly running out of sort of superlatives to describe the match, and the, and then for the year down the line, we were we were uh, very critical of the matches. Maybe it's not a case of, sorry, maybe it's a case of it, 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 his style doesn't doesn't resonate with the the Western audience, but I don't think it's going to if if you stick him in a match with someone such as Paul Orndorff at this late stage in his career. No, I mean, it, I, I think it could work, but I kind of feel like you'd have to change about eight things about this match to make it work uh, from a different opponent. Uh, to a different style of match, to probably having a lot more build for Muta beforehand. You know, I mean, those have been working a lot with in Japan in the last kind of six months or so. Maybe in the weeks leading up to the show, get some clips of him in Japan that you can use on your TV. Maybe show a match or two if they'll let you use one of those. Just so the audience that goes in aren't completely blind to him. Because, and I, I saw this with Inoki as well, in that I don't get the sense that the Japanese babyface style in Japan is all that showy. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of Japanese wrestling, so, you know, people who, who know more about it feel, feel free to correct me on that. Um, but I don't get the sense that in Japan you go in as a baby face and you try and whip up the crowd and you do a nasty boy style thing. I get the sense you go in and you become a baby face by your actions and your mannerisms and things like that. Um, and so Muta, to almost, to almost uh, as much as I, you might think I'm just being WCW, I think Muta almost to his fault as well, trying to come in and just trying to be the Japanese 
version of him perhaps was a mistake. You've got, to, I think you've got to be a bit more emotive. Um, but yeah, and the other thing I'll say is that as, as you guys referred to, this was a 15 minute match. I know my match review wasn't all that long. This was a long match and not a lot happened. Um, but his moonsault was nice and that's, that will be the positive that I will, I will end the match review on. We go backstage with me and Gene Oakland. He's backstage with Ironson, Ric Flair and Vader. Flair says he's going to stand back and admire Vader do the damage in the main event. Terry Funk is here to accept his entry into the WCW Hall of Fame. This was just a, uh, an interview before the ceremony. Uh, he's much more somber and baby-faced than we've seen in most of this project. Uh, Craig, this, this was this was interesting. Look, I, I don't know whether it's a year and eighteen months of funking while maniac in ECW and the bits we've seen in WCW as well. Very odd seeing Funk as the respectful, straight up and down babyface. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a little bit different, which sort of made the, the segment a little bit more memorable. I thought it was just, it sort of caught you off guard a little bit. I quite liked it. Yeah, he, he would have been really good in the Legends match. Um, yep, I, I, I agree. And, and the fact that he'd have, he'd have still been able to work a reasonably competent match, regardless of opposition. Yeah. No, uh, I, I, I get the sense that Funk, even working at a ye olde match, would have done some stuff that would have got everyone interested. It might have just been a small thing with the referee or just shouting at some of the fans. Although, dare I say, I don't know whether Terry Funk, a guy who's still trying to draw in the main event in Japan, wants to be shot in black and white. I, I will say that. Um, yeah. But we, we move on to Das Wunderkid, Alex Wright against Iron Anderson for the TV title. Wright starts with a headlock, then locks in another one on the mat. Wright twice manages to fall Anderson by not doing the usual running off the ropes, then hits an enziguri as he takes control early in the match. Anderson goes for an enziguri of his own, but Wright ducks and goes for an STF. Anderson escapes to the outside and regroups. Wright's having none of it and hits the tope. Anderson charges by the ring post, but Wright ducks and double A cracks his arm off the post. Wright gets back in the ring and starts working on Arn's arm. Anderson finally gets a foothold in the match, hits a trademark spine buster to gain some parity. He then starts choking Wright by the ropes. Wright rallies with a suplex, then hits a lovely high angle drop kick from the top rope. Anderson fakes a left hand, Wright ducks, and Anderson uses that to hit the DDT and pick up the victory. Chris? This was the best match so far of the the night by a mile this was like there's not really anything wrong with this uh i like the finish a lot i thought it was quite creative there was good storytelling um I, I just i don't really have any negatives at all i really enjoyed it no just to reiterate the finish getting rattles through it there essentially anderson goes to kind of fakes a punch to right who then ducks and as as right ducks kind of towards anderson's left arm anderson uses that momentum and cinches in the ddt and nails it really good spot chris uh craig sorry i thought this was a perfectly watchable match i mean it's not going to make any sort of end the year lists of the, the best matches of the year or the best pay-per-view matches of the year and I mean, if this had sort of just been on TV, it'd been fine. But no, it, you, you have to be overtly critical to, to hate on this match. I thought it, I thought it was all right. Yeah, I, a passable uh, match. Yeah, again, a bit like the opener. It wasn't great, but I get the sense it could have been part of what could have been seen as a far better show. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. This, this a bit like the owner um, in another sense as well. The action wasn't actually all that good, but I thought they told a very interesting story. You know, the idea that Wright, the the young upstart, was trying to kind of play Anderson at his own game. You know, kind of dominating the early goings, not with Wright's athleticism or his agility, but with kind of rest holds and uh, and that kind of thing to try and wear Anderson down. Um, and I also thought that Bischoff and, and Heenan did a really good job on commentary, kind of ramming this kind of idea home um in, in terms of kind of the way Wright was trying to win the match and yeah like the the action was clean um we, we've again got the problem with another baby face that doesn't particularly act overtly baby face um although that's kind of been a, a long-standing issue with Wright, and at least in the case of Arn Anderson he's working with a heel that can more than compensate for that um and yeah Anderson hit a lovely spine buster in this uh, and the finish was quite nice too um as I said, this match is, is, is significant for what we're going to in part discuss later on in terms of, um, obviously Alex Wright was, was undefeated going into this match, um, and, and now he's not. Um, and basically there was the thought that, uh, that the Flair camp, the Flair side of it, the non-Hogan side of WCW wanted Wright to win the match and the title, but the Hogan, kind of group wanted Anderson to retain so that Renegade can beat Anderson for the title next month, which, as I understand it at the moment, is still the plan. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's a fair bit of more going on to this, but the match itself was fine without being exceptional, um, but I, I, I like the story that they told. Um, uh, and Wright loses undefeated streak, but this was this was Wright's best match in WCW. Um, no, okay, against Iron Anderson, you, you'd kind of hope so. Um, but no, he's, he's improving and, and one thing about this as well is that they, they had a very nice video package about these two before the start. Um, and WCW production wise in the last, I want to say four to six months, so the last kind of three or four pay-per-views, if you watch them in a line, uh, maybe with a couple beforehand as well as kind of the last six, I think you'll notice at this stage that their production values are certainly picking up. Um, not just in terms of like the equipment and the things they're doing and the staging and things like that, but I think also just the way they put together shows and how they package matches like this and things like that. Um, anyway, we move on to Meng with Colonel Royal Parker against Road Warrior Hawk. Uh, Meng unloads on Hawk in the corner, hitting a series of kicks. Meng hits a pile drive and Hawk completely no-sells it, jumps straight to his feet. Hawk charges Meng in the corner but smashes his shoulder into the ring post. Hawk hits multiple boots but cannot gain control. Meng chops him to the floor. Hawk gains control, attacks Meng in the corner before eating a body slam. He then goes for a top rope, but me- uh, splash, but Meng rolls out of the way. Match fills the outside, both men get counted out. A number of WCW wrestlers and officials come out to separate them. Chris? Really bad. The no-selling of a pile driver, I just, why? Like, it's just really terrible with the double count out it was thrown together on the main event before as you as you spoke earlier about and for like this like three minute mess like just leave it off the show altogether you're doing fine without it really poor Craig absolutely I mean in terms of a surprise bonus match this is absolute rubbish I mean just I, I, I intrinsically loathe pay-per-view matches that don't have a clean finish and this is just thrown together at the last minute without a clean finish so I have very difficult, I have a great deal of difficulty in having anything resembling positive thoughts towards this one no, especially but... when you consider the sorry, sorry Bobby, uh, especially when you consider the, the people that are involved 
No, I mean, very, very strange in the sense that, yeah, I mean, I, the idea of having the, the setup before the show was very clever. You know, I didn't really speak about it, but, you know, one thing WCW are doing a fair bit of now is, you know, they've got this, they've got this main event leading, um, and so they're trying to, you know, as it's on TV, try and use the, the pre-show essentially to try and hook people in. Uh, Road Warrior Hawk w- w- was unadvertised and, and I, I think like they, that the Bischoff seemed to try to imply that because it was unadvertised, it, it was all going to be a bit wacky anyway. Um, but yeah, all, all very strange. I mean, I, I like certain things about what they've done with Meng in the last few months since they kind of made him an in-ring act rather than just a bodyguard or an enforcer. Um, but they, they put him in some very odd spots. We had the thing with, uh, with Duggan at Uncensored, um, where he was in the martial arts match and, and really should have just wiped out Duggan with his, with his Savot kick at the, at the top. And then we have this match here. And I kind of thought coming into this match, the idea was going to be Hawk comes in, Meng beats him up, wins the match. It's a big win for Meng. Hawk can leave and all of that. Um, and then they gave us this, which I suppose suggests we're going to get another match. It isn't necessarily the end of the world. Um, but yeah, this this was underwhelming. It wasn't long enough. Um, yeah, no, very few positives from this. And, uh, and a weird one in the sense that I actually think these two could have a semi-decent big man brawl um and they they didn't give them the chance uh, anyway we move on to the WCW hall of fame induction gordon Soley is on hands for the inductions uh going in this year are chief Wahoo mcdaniel terry funk dusty Rhodes, antonio inoki angelo poffo and big john stud dusty not surprisingly gets the biggest pop of the night and the closing speech First of all, it's a real honor and privilege to be standing out here with these gentlemen that represent this sport for all these years. I want to thank my two children, Teal and Cody, Kristen, and the natural Dustin Rhodes for standing behind me through all of this. My new grandbaby, Dakota, Papa says hello. My mom, my stepdad, Mike, in Houston, and my dad, who's up there right now with Eddie Graham. I want to thank all of them, and most of all, I want to thank the fans, but because without the fans, this sport does not exist. I also want to thank the most important person in my life, Michelle, my wife, for giving me the choice to chance the rapids, and she left me there to dance the tide. And in closing, if one thing that these gentlemen up here with me have brought you through the years, it was a tremendous amount of blood, sweat, and tears and to the new generation that is here now and this great talented WCW boys you better put them on tight and lace them up if you're going to follow in these gentlemen's footsteps right here God bless you, I love you thank you and at the end of his ceremony 
There's one more inductee. We get the final induction, and it's Gordon Soli himself. Soli looks genuinely shocked, and I was sort of disappointed to find out that he was actually in on this, uh, uh, and the shock uh, was feigned. Craig, what, what do you think of, well, uh, I suppose, secondly, the, uh, the, the Soli bit at the end, but how WCW handled this, this Hall of Fame thing? I, I thought it was quite good, if a bit long. I didn't really have any sort of major problems at all with the, with the WCW Hall of Fame. I expected a dusty finish along the way at one point, but I thought it was fine. If we're going to split hairs, you could probably argue about, sorry, argue over uh, Big John Studd's induction, but I thought it was absolutely fine. And obviously, Angelo Popo's uh, inclusion made for for very solid storyline. Sorry, made made for a very good reason for in a storyline perspective. I thought it was fine. It, it, it went on a little bit too long, as you alluded to, Bob. But uh, no, I thought it was absolutely fine. No, but I don't think there are many doubts with the with the cast they've inducted this year in terms of the names. Um, Poffo is probably the the most debatable one, as you said. Big John Stella's supposed to a point as well. Um, but you know, with, with Funk, with Rhodes, um, Soli's quote unquote surprise induction certainly, you know, he, he he's earned his place in there as well. Um, so it was fine. But yeah, I I kind of I, I watched through it and I kind of said to myself. Yeah, the, the, my, 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 my thoughts on this was given how they had it work, I think it might be better if they'd have interspersed this throughout the show. Um, so rather than having them all in one big block, just like have, uh, between each match, kind of have like one induction, so you're losing kind of, not losing, but you're spacing matches out with it, with an induction different time. I don't think that would have been all that bad an idea. Chris, your, your thoughts? No, I think that's a good idea, as you just mentioned, spacing it out. Um, I am surprised you say uh, Soli knew about the induction because like, I, I didn't know he was aware, and like he deserves an award or something because that, that was brilliantly feigned uh, surprise. Uh, it was, yeah, I just agree with both you guys. Went on a bit too long, but no, no issues really aside from that. No, I mean, look, I, I only found out Soli knew just because it was what the. The, uh, the Observer and the Talks were reporting. So I, I get I get the sense that 99.9% of people who watch this certainly didn't know he was in on it, um, and, and his reactions certainly looked very legitimate. I guess when you watch it back and you know he already knows, you, <laughs> yeah. you might say, well, he hangered it in a bit, but watching it without knowing, I, I thought he did a very good job putting that on. Uh, Craig, your, your thoughts on, on the Sony induction, that little kind of quote-unquote surprise? I, I, thought, I thought it was nice. I mean, I, I think he would have to be particularly heartless not to to believe that Soli deserves a place in any wrestling hall of fame based and I mean based on my remarks earlier on about Soli being the, the sort of main uh, in fact the only highlight of the Legends match so I mean I, th- I thought it was nice and you, you seldom really get moments that you think that's nice in a wrestling pay-per-view so no, I, I have no qualms whatsoever with it and we move on. Sting is backstage with me, Gene Oakland, says very little of note. Uh, and we move on to Big Brother Rogers versus Sting in a lights-out match. They genuinely made no effort to explain what a lights-out match was. My interpretation was it was just kind of a, a, a no-disqualification, weapons-allowed match. Sting certainly came out carrying a table above his head, um, so I suppose that was a giveaway of something. Uh, Boa mocks Sting's howl, so Sting does it and hypes up the crowd. Sting hits a dropkick, sends Boa to the outside. Boa gets back in the ring and chokes Sting with his tie. Sting gets loose and hits another dropkick. 
or jumping double kick, I suppose I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boa slams Sting's head onto the stairs, then gets to the table. Half unfolds it before Sting cracks Boa's head onto it. Sting then does a body slam onto the table, which is laid flat on the on the mat. Uh, Sting then props the table up, uh, then shapes to drive Boa through it, but Boa throws powder in his eyes. Heenan speculates that Boa hit Sting so hard, dust came out of him. Table gets propped up in the corner of the ring. Sting goes to splash Bubba into it, but Bubba moves and Sting bounces off of it. Bubba then starts whipping Sting with his belt. Sting hits a splash on the top rope for a two count, lays the table on top of Bubba before doing a double stomp, then locks in a scorpion deathlock, and Bubba quits. Craig? Well, uh, if, we can, if we can go back in time even further, what was the... the there was a, a match that we'd covered previously involving The Undertaker and... It, Involved a stipulation that there was no explanation whatsoever over. Oh, it was oh, um, it was giant. It was giant Gonzalez or whatever his name was uh, at SummerSlam '93. That's right. Oh, what was it called? I can't remember. It was so. It was, so was, it, like, was it not just like a casket match or something? Uh, but there was no explanation. No, it wasn't, but it, it, there was just no explanation of how you won it. Because even Todd Pettengill beforehand was like, basically, we don't know how you win this match. And, and I think, I think, I think that this is, that hurts matches like this because people are going in and being like, well, we don't really know, we don't really know what's happening here. And I mean, Sting's great and, Bubba Rogers is fine, but when, when you've got a stipulation that you struggle to explain or people don't know, then you're always going to be slightly hampered. Oh, Craig, you did so well, almost stalling. I've almost got there. What was it? What was it? What was it? Rest in peace, match. That was it. Yeah. Rest that's in peace. It. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's it. Because <laughs> nobody knew what that meant because it was just a, it was just a thing and you're like, oh yeah, I, I mean, that's obviously obvious if if and do you know done, the best thing about that match? We covered it on this show, so if you, you go back nothing, and listen to August 9th. Nothing is the best thing about that match. No, no, no. The, be, the best thing about your point in this match is that the match ends and Vince McMahon says, and we finally know what a rest in peace match is. Correct. No, we don't. Yes. We, nev- we, ne- we never found out. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. No, Vince, we're still bamboozled by no. the... By the no, premise of the whole thing. No idea. Lights out match. I know because even like me and Gene Oakland references in, in the promo. It's like, well, you know, the lights will be out. I think the the idea was was that you know I, I think me and Gene Oakland reference to like looking up to the looking up to the uh, well the ceiling really of the arena and obviously when you're sparked out your lights go out. I think that was the idea. Um, but yeah, right. like very very odd. Um, and, and yeah, particularly strange given that, you know, if you were going to call it like a weapons match or a hardcore match or whatever, extreme match or something like that, I don't know, just call it that. A lights out match really made no sense. And I was thinking it might be, you know, some form of four corners match or something like that, or like a, a match that's in the dark or, you know, like, if anything, I'm quite disappointed that WCW, given, you know, given that this is a company that two months ago did a match on the back of a moving truck, I'm quite disappointed that the company came up with the idea of calling a match lights out match and then produce something so uncreative like like maybe, yeah. maybe maybe have a match where all of the lights go out and then each wrestler has a torch stuck to their head that would have been better it would have been different um it couldn't have been any worse no that's true um chris 
Uh, yeah, I just uh, like I agree totally with both of you about the stipulation. I've like lights out. I thought it was some kind of like last man standing match. Like they have to win via knockout and stuff like that. And then it's just sort of a regular no DQ. Just call it that. It's a lot simpler. The highlight for me was Bobby Heenan saying uh, about the powder, and he said, "Well, he used to be a cop, so maybe it was from a powdered donut." I thought that was brilliant. Um, it was okay. It was like it was an all right match. It was a little bit boring, a bit slow, but I mean, it wasn't as bad as some of the stuff in er- like earlier on the show. So like, it was okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I kind of viewed this match as two guys who are both willing to work quite hard. Um, uh, and yeah, they they put on a decent show again. Like this this mythical better show that includes like this right against Anderson and the opener is is off to quite a solid start. Um, the problem is is that back in the real world this is the co-main and we've had nothing better. Um, this 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 was fine. It was certainly in the kind of upper half of matches on the show, but I don't think that that says a lot. Craig, your overall thoughts on the match? I thought it was fine. I mean it it, it wasn't great but in, in fact, for, for a penultimate match in a pay-per-view, it was it was pretty poor. As a match itself, not bad, but the idea of this sort of being the, the, the second to last match is pretty grim. I will move on to tonight's main event is Ric Flair and Vader with Arn Anderson versus Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage with Jimmy Hart and the Renegade. After some delay, Renegade comes out seemingly with different music from Uncensored, which would make sense given that I think uh, WWE's legal team has been in contact since that show and has said, can you not use our music please? But anyway, uh, he backs off Ric Flair on the outside. Vader wants Hogan in the ring. Hogan unloads on Vader in the corner, then lays him out with a clothesline and sends him over the top rope. You will note, no disqualification. Vader regroups on the outside, but Savage hits a double axe handle from the top. Hogan and Savage go double-team Vader, but Vader lays them both out and then poses in the ring. Vader dumps Savage to the outside. Flair drops out to follow him and dumps him over the guardrail into the crowd. Flair does his customary flip over the turnbuckle, walks right into a big boot from Hogan, then staggers to the outside, doing the customary Flair collapse halfway up the aisleway. Hogan returns into the ring, but Savage dumps him back to the outside. Flair drops Hogan in the corner, but Hogan no-sells it, and then backdrops Flair. Hogan picks Flair up off the turnbuckle and dumps him in the ring before locking in a figure-four leg lock of his own. Vader distracts the referee, and Arn Anderson comes to the ring and cradles Hogan. Anderson feels the wrath of the renegade for that. Flair has control and tags Invader. Vader logs in the figure-four leg lock on Hogan. We cut to the R-way, and a man with long hair and shades uh, is by the screens. Uh, this is, well, presumably Paul White. Um, they didn't do a very good job selling his height, it should be said, um, if he is 7 foot 2. Uh, Vader suplexes Hogan, then Hogan pops up. Vader just runs him over. Vader gets angry with the referee, so just lays him out. Referee Randy Anderson gets up rather quickly. Vader squashes Hogan in the corner, then hits a Vader bomb, then goes for a Vader bomb from the top row, but Hogan rolls out of the way. Flair and Savage get involved. Savage unloads on Flair, but runs into a back elbow. Savage goes for an elbow drop from the top rope, hits it, but Arn pulls him out of the ring. Arn lays out Savage, Renegade lays into Arn, then Renegade squares off against Vader. Flair calls for the moonsault from Vader, who is a very snug moonsault to Savage. Hogan comes out to drag Flair off, but it seems like Savage kicks out anyway. Hogan gets in the ring with Flair, who begs off, goes for a ten punch for inviting Vader into the ring. Hogan then hits a body style on Vader, which got a quite nice pop. Then knocks Arn off the apron, hits a big boot, then goes for a leg drop, but Anderson grabs Hogan's leg. 
Vader splashes Hogan. Player pins him, but Hogan kicks out. Savage goes after Vader on the outside, and Hogan hulks up in the ring. Allison jumps up to the top rope, does a double axe handle, but Hogan moves out of the way and flat eats it. Hogan drops a leg and gets the three count. We will come to the post-match action in a minute. Craig, your thoughts? It was okay. I mean, I, I think I'm, I, I think by this stage in this, this event, I've lost a little bit of interest. The, they, they started with talking about legends of today, tomorrow, and the future, and you just look at the whole event, and it's, it, it screams the 80s. Everything just seems a little bit slow, and that's probably the best way to describe this main event. Chris? Uh... There's something I don't like about pay-per-view main events when there's nothing on the line. So, like, no matter what happens in this match, Hogan's still going to be the champion. So what reason do I have to really care about the action? And, like, it was fine. The match was fine. But not a pay-per-view main event. Like, really just not good enough for that level at all. Um, It was okay. A really, like predictable finish oh look Hogan has been flair again it was like great like, like it, I, I don't know I, do, I didn't it was okay as a match as but not like if you've spent money for this pay-per-view I feel like you're going to be very disappointed yeah I mean speaking back on on your point Chris in terms of you know why did the baby faces win it was a tag match with nothing on the line. We're talking about the next two pay-per-views are going to be headlined by, you know, Flair against Savage next month because Hogan's having a month off. And then in July, it's going to be Hogan and Vader, presumably for one last time. Why? I, I, I don't know why the, the, the heels couldn't have won this one. Yeah, you know, we, we, we ended up and we'll come to the post-match angle where the, the, uh, the heels do try and regain some of their heat. Um, but just all very strange. And, and, and Chris, as you say, it's, it's Hogan. Pinning Flair. We are six months removed from from their match at Halloween Havoc, and it's the same thing. Yeah, it, I mean the the reason why the Hills didn't win this one is just because Hulk Hogan was pretty like that's all the reason you need really. Like, just at one point Flair gets like a decent amount of offense in, and you think, oh, here's something new, and then oh no, don't worry, Hogan starts beating them up pretty quickly, like. Just, just in case you were scared, we were going to try something new. We're not. Hogan is going to win. It's fine. Yeah. Just, I, I, I don't. Boring. Really boring. All very unsatisfying. Craig, uh, any further thoughts? No, I mean it's the. It, I think Chris is absolutely spot on. The, the idea of there being nothing to play for, so you're left wondering what's the point. Yeah. Um. No, I mean it was. It was one of those things. I mean. It, a match with this amount of star power always had a bit more, you know, in terms of there's an argument to say it was the best match on the card, which probably says more about the card than it does about the quality of this match. Um, but just in terms of because you've got four big names in the ring, it was Flair's first first pay-per-view match as he wrestled on TV before and, and well, ultimately did wrestle a show in, uh, in Korea, actually. Um, but yeah, Flair was... Flair was in this match, you got Vader, you got Hogan, you got Savage, you got Renegade and Anderson on the outside. There, to, to give them credit, there was always something happening in this match, a bit like the uh, uh, Uncensored as well, a bit similar to that, where you had Hogan and, and Vader in the strap match, and then everything going on on the outside. Um, that they, they achieved that from that point of view, but yeah, Chris, I think you're right, it's, the action wasn't great, and the result didn't matter, and so it just fell a bit flat. Um, but obviously, the, the heels had to... Right, Obviously, you know, 
try and regain some of their heat. Uh, so after the bell, uh, the heels attack Savage. Uh, Angelo Popo gets in the ring, but heels start attacking him as well. Fairlock's in the figure of four on Angelo. Renegade and Hogan run off the heels. Savage is distraught and ultimately calls for an ambulance, which given that uh, Poffo only subjected to the figure four was probably a bit excessive. Uh, Craig, as attempts go to, to, for the uh, for the heels to get their heat back, was this effective? Uh, yeah, I mean, it tried to sort of salvage something from it, but I mean, I, I, th- I think the whole the whole damage was done by the the idea of the the days winning a nothing match with nothing on the line, so it, it was different. Sorry, it's difficult to salvage anything from there. Chris, I mean, the yeah, the angle was fine, but as Craig said, it does it doesn't make up for the finish of the match. Like it didn't, uh, like it, it. You could have had this finish if the heels win and then the beatdown continues, and Angelo Pofo runs in the ring, and and then they attack him as well, and that's how the show goes off. And then you've really set up some fuse, and you've got something new. The heels have won. But how many times is this in the last year that Hogan's pinned Flair, like, clean on a pay-per-view? Is it the third time? Um, Bash at the Beach, um, Havoc, uh, and then, uns- and then, Uncensored, and this one, four. So four times. And, and bear in mind, Flair wasn't in one of those yeah, matches. And there's a big old gap as well between a few of them. So four, four times, and because of that, really, the angle fell flat for me, because... By that point, you'd lost me. Like it wasn't yeah. going to salve, in my mind at least. Uh, there are people who are listening and are being picky. No, he didn't pin him at Uncensored. I suppose he did just drag him to all four corners. But given that given that Flair wasn't in the match, I think the point does still stand. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, no, you, you're right. I mean, it's you know, ultimately, I just don't think we need any more of Flair and Hogan. I kind of hope that's the end for a while. It's not the they're, they're both over characters. They're both really good to watch in their own unique ways. But we've done it now, and all right, they need to use. Hogan as a fool to get Flair back in the ring, but I'm kind of hoping that we don't see anything of Flair and Hogan for a long time now. Uh, I think they've they've burnt all of the equity they had in that match, and all right, I say burnt they 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 squeezed all the life out of it, but you know they they could have set up for a potential rematch down the line had they have brought Flair back in a different way. But given the way they've done it, I don't think there's any equity in Flair versus Hogan any time the next year. Um, and yeah, ultimately, yeah, they, it does seem like they are shaping towards Flair and Savage. So, um, well, it's the, the main event next month. So I suppose there is that. Uh, Chris, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of ten? It's difficult, really, because especially since we've been talking it through, maybe I have been feel like I've been a bit harsh. But as a pay per view, like a three out of ten, and I think that's quite generous. But maybe it's sort of like a standalone show, like. To, to go and watch back maybe it's a 5 out of 10 show but like I just feel like for this to be a pay-per-view it's really bad so I'm going to stick with a 3 and I feel like that's a generous 3 Craig uh, I'm, I'm a test this was an atrocious and atrocious show uh, whilst it might lead on to bigger and better things as a standalone show this was pretty bad in fact it, it was very very bad so I'd, I'd I think a generous three out of ten for me. No, I, I gave it three and a half. Um, uh, you know, you you could put together a, a, a very good clash of the champions if you, if you 
picked four matches from this show. Um, but the fact you're asking people to pay for it, uh, and those three matches after the, because I thought the, I actually thought the was one of the better, might have been the best match of the night in some ways. Um, you know, the, 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 again, it was a very, a very odd competition for match of the night in that nobody was really competing. Um, but no, just those three matches in the middle were just awful. I mean, just really bad. We've got baby faces that aren't doing basic baby face stuff. Like, as, for all the critique of Jim Duggan, I come back to him, for all the critique of Duggan, he does the basics quite well. And so at least you know with Duggan, he's going to whip the crowd up. He's going to have a Duggan match. It'll be two stars. It won't be that long and all of the above. Um, it just, it just didn't work. Yeah, I, I think three and a half. Um, in terms of what I would recommend to go back and watch, in some ways I would say nothing. You miss nothing from this show. Um, but if you've got some time in your hands and you're thinking, I want to watch this show, I would cut out those three really bad matches in the middle. The rest of it's, the rest of it's fine without being any better than good, I, I would say ultimately. Um, but I, I, again, like Craig, me and you've done some of these shows where we've had, Bad WCW shows with horrendous booking. And, 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 and if, if there's one thing to say about this, I thought they got their big calls right. They, you know, all right, they, maybe, maybe the heels should have won the main event. Um, but we left with a very good reason to heat up Flair and Savage. Uh, we had the, the, the nasty boys finally win the tag titles. And we had a very good development of, of Anderson and, and, and Alex Wright. So I think from a, from a logistical standpoint, Craig, I think they, they get a bit more of a pass than we perhaps might think. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so, but you can, you can counter that, Bob, by the, the idea that we, we, we also got into the stage that we were getting away from what were considered dusty finishes to matches, and it, it almost seems like we've ditched the dusty finishes, but we're still feeling unsatisfied by the end product. Yeah, it, it's almost like I wonder if on, on previous shows I'd, I've said this would be a decent show without the crap finishes. I get the feeling we've seen that show without the crap finishes and it turns out it's not that good. Yeah, um, no, that, uh, absolutely. World Television champ Arn Anderson is a magician last weekend at Slamboree pulling another one out of the hat as you continue to do here at World Championship Wrestling. Later on in the program, the Slim Jim Challenge, sponsors of the Bash at the Beach, we're going to find out who you're going to be fending against this coming summer. Just like Alex Wright found out, just like Tim Horner just found out Gene Oakland, I am the greatest world television champion of all time. Two great athletes, but just too little, too late. You know, sometimes, Aaron Anderson, I get the feeling that it's dipping right at your heels, and you may be running out of time very shortly. Gene Oakland, the big wigs at Slim Jim have found out what I've known for a long time. This belt is my manhood. I feel like I am the greatest champion in WCW. Hulk Hogan, he may go out and defend his belt once a month. I defend this sometimes two or three times a weekend. This is the most defended belt in WCW. Why get on Hogan's case? You've got other battles and mountains to climb. The fact is, whoever wins this Slim Jim tournament, and they want to bring it to bash at the beach, understand one thing. You're going to have to rip into my guts and rip into my soul to take this away from me. This is what I live for. Saturday night after Slamboree on May 27th sees WCW go on location in North Carolina to 
specifically at Speed Street for a NASCAR crossover event. They're outside and it's raining. The Nasty Boys win a squash match, then reaffirm their challenge to the Blue Bloods at the Great American Bash. Back at centre stage, they've decked out the ring in Slim Jim branding. Mean Gene Oakland is pushing a story for his hotline, saying that they're negotiating with a big Ultimate Fighter, which, while true, is somewhat misleading as they're trying to get Dan Seven in for a show that they're doing in Asia later this year. In North Carolina, the rain seems to have relented and we're watching the Slim Jim Challenge, a four-man tournament for the right to face Arn Anderson for the TV title. Jim Duggan faces Paul Orndorff, and the match spills to the outside, where Duggan rams Orndorff's head onto the Hulk Hogan NASCAR painted at ringside. In the end, Orndorff wins with a handful of tights. Randy Savage defeats Stunning Steve Austin in a US title tournament match. Austin goes for a top rope headbutt, but Savage moves, then hits a top rope elbow drop of his own for the win. In the Slim Jim Challenge, Brian Pillman defeats Big Bubba in the other semi-final. Bubba struck the referee, Pillman does a bridge with a pin, and the referee has little, little hesitation with a fast count. Darren Dallas Page is out doing a gimmick now, where whenever he does a move, he holds up a 10 sign like he's judging a gymnastics competition. At the end of the match, the Diamond Doll holds up a 10 plus sign. Bullhorndorf wins the final of the Slim Jim Challenge, beating Brian Pillman by using the trunks. In the main event, Ric Flair against Alex Wright went to an apparent no contest after Randy Savage stormed the ring. Savage and Flair had to be separated by a series of WCW wrestlers. Savage confronts Alex Wright and he says that this is not his battle and that Savage had no choice after what Flair did with his dad at the pay-per-view. Flair, apparently it seems, advances in the tournament. Finally, I get my opportunity to do the interview with Diamond Dallas that I tried to get earlier in the golf course. You blew me off then. I want to know now, what's up with the card? What did the card say? Kimball. Well, what are you doing talking to her? Talking the interview with talk me. It's all about Diamond Dallas Page. I'm setting out a warning to all the world championship wrestling wannabe superstars. I'm letting you know right now that Diamond Dallas Page is rolling, Daddy. And if you don't believe me, ask that chump. I just rolled right over. Shut up without talking. I don't care what you believe. I I don't care what she gets out of it. It's all about Diamond Dollars Page. I want $13 million. I'm the one driving the Lamborghini. I'm the one wearing a diamond. I'm the one wearing a diamond. I'm not going to tell you again. Stop interviewing her when it's my time. The warning's down. Anybody that can get Diamond Dollars Page's way, come on down, Daddy. I'm begging somebody out there. Stop me. After uh, looking at your golf game on videotape, I'd say there's a number of people that can stop you uh, on the golf course. Does that look like golfing? First of all, fish quick. I shot Fish off, thank you. Whatever. Shut up! Give me a microphone. The bottom line is this. I shot a 62 golfing. There's nobody can beat me at golfing. Blackjack, trap, nothing. You better shut up when I talk. It's all about Diamond Dallas. I'm sorry. We are out of time, and your money won't buy you another 30 seconds. We'll be back right after this. And we come back, and we're going to start uh, with looking at the the final uh, WCW Saturday night of the month. Nothing 
especially remarkable. And on another month with a with with fewer volumes of shows, you perhaps wouldn't have covered this. But given that we've got a, a WCW own section, I think we we might as well. Reason this show is significant one, it's it's a, the, the follow up to Slambury and two because they're part of the show is filmed outside uh they're at the uh, uh whatever i ended up saying on the tv they're in, they're in north carolina on the speed street i think they're doing some nascar crossover stuff so some of the stuff is shot outside on location a real crowd which is a very big difference make of a wcw um rain as well which is another interesting factor and there's no canopy they just went with it uh and then we had some stuff back at center stage in uh, in florida as well um Chris, I know you've seen this show. We won't spend too long on it, but I will pick up on a couple of points. Uh, just your, your overall thoughts on, on the outdoor vibe. I know you've not seen much WCW TV, so you've perhaps nothing to compare it to. Um, but what, what do you think? No, it made it definitely like in terms of just watching a lot of wrestling, it made it stand out. It was quite good. I like the crowd felt loud, like just naturally through being outside, and it, it just had a different vibe to it. It was more exciting. It made it just. For me, at least, it stood out more than just sort of your average weekly t- uh, wrestling show. Like it, it was, it, it, the action wasn't especially great or memorable, but just in itself, the fact it was outside for the most part was quite like it was good. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was noteworthy. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I don't get the sense that. Uh, at the end of the year, I'm going to be remembering many WCW Saturday nights because they all look the same, they all feel the same, and generally it's got a lot better, but generally not a ton happens week to week, and when it does, it's all quite similar. But it stood out in that sense. Um, and again, you know, I, I thought they did stuff quite well. Yeah, we had the you know, the Nasty Boys win a squash match, and it's kind of raining, and they're just using that as part of their thing. We had the Slim Jim Challenge Tournament, uh, the the, the four-man tournament, all that kind of stuff. Um, to touch on a couple of things. Firstly, um, Darwin Dallas Page. Um, I don't know if, he, if both of you... Craig, you've seen this. The the Darwin Dallas Page playing golf segment. Or have you seen it? I haven't. Ah, my mistake. <laughs> Chris, have you seen this bit? No. Ah, moment two. All right. Well, afternoon then. All right, yes. Basically, <laughs> uh, earlier in the month, uh, we have... Um, uh, we have uh, Diamond Dallas, the Diamond Doll, Max Muscle, and Eric Bischoff, and they're on a golf course. I don't really know why, but Eric Bischoff's there and he wants some comments. Uh, anyway, I cover it in the thing. If you can find the clip, um, it is on our Facebook page. Uh, it is quite good. It's a quite interesting watch just because it is WCW again doing something different. Um, but, but Chris, coming back to the the the, uh, the Diamond Dallas stuff on, on the TV, I like what they're doing with him. I, I like the idea that he's in money. But for once, he's a guy with a lot of money, but nobody's really asking where it came from. I guess that's not unique, but it, it's certainly different. Generally, when we have wealthy characters, they kind of have a backstory. Um, and I like that the, the small little thing. It, it's one of those things where a year down the line, they might have fleshed out this character a bit. I like the fact that he's protective of the Diamond Doll, but Bischoff is quite keen to find out more about her, and we've got that dynamic going on. Uh, what, what do you think of DDP, Chris? I, I really enjoyed the... the the promo after the match was like right in front of the fans who were like going crazy and he was really playing up to them like and telling them to shut up Bischoff yeah as you say trying to get an interview with the Diamond Doll and he kept he didn't like that at all I like I, I, I thought it was really good and in the end he stole the mic and just just really like nice character development away from stars of the 80s like it's just it's refreshing to say the least yeah, yeah. Again, it's just something different. Uh, I like the team they've got, and as I say, just the, the stuff I mentioned in the uh, 
in the TV review as well when, when I recorded that earlier in terms of, you know, he goes and he bought them all cars and that kind of thing. It's all, it's all small stuff. I mean, there's a thing knocking about with Dave Sullivan. I, it, it may have happened on WCW Pro, but they certainly don't seem to have developed that storyline much. But that, that I assume pays off. Um, that's that they they mentioned that Dave Sullivan thing enough this month where I'm guessing we'll get a blow off match for that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like what DDP's doing. Um, a couple of other things, Chris. I guess first of all, as well, will be uh, Randy Savage against Sonny Steve Austin. What do you think about that? Quite 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 brief, and it will tie to what we well sort of tie to what we're going to discuss in a minute. But um, yeah, an intriguing match. Sure. Yeah, I don't want to touch on it too much because as you say, we'll cover a bit closer later in the show but it was uh, I I think I expected more from it um it was, was very long no and that right, that's probably I think they made the most of the time they had I suppose but just going into it like I knew that show was uh, sorry that match was on the show and, that, and I was like oh I'm look, lo- looking forward to that one and it wasn't particularly noteworthy very forgettable but a no. lot of that is to do with what we're going to time come allowance and yeah. things like that so but it was okay. Like, yeah, no, it wasn't a bad match at all. No, just sure. And, and again, uh, when, when we come to the Austin walkout thing in a minute, that that may well tie into it a bit. And, uh, and the final one is the uh, Flair and Alex Wright uh, and the ultimate finish. An interesting story, I may have mentioned this to the TV report, I recorded it earlier today, um, is that Flair booked, hit well, himself, he's the head booker, did book himself to beat Alex Wright's uh, and end his undefeated streak. Now, admittedly, given when it aired, I suppose this actually doesn't make sense, given that the Flair right win would have been taped before Slambury would have aired after, so technically Flair wouldn't have been ending his run. Um, but Flair did book uh, himself to win the match, and they did tape it, where Flair won the match cleanly with a figure-four leg lock and right submitted. Um, and apparently Flair felt so bad about that that they retaped it and they had, had this... This DQ finish. I've got to be honest, Chris. I actually kind of think this was a good move, given what they ended up doing with Savage and the bit with the Savage promo that I'll probably have either played or will play uh, between this and the uh, the the bit we do with uh, with the Austin thing. Uh, the, the Savage promo and all that led into that. I think they actually that they got the best of that. See, I don't know what it is, like, but between Slamboree and and this show, I really like Alex Wright. I like. I thought it was a really good match. I like. I, I really like him. I, look, he's one of probably my favourite people. Like that's on WCW TV at this time, and like so when the finish happened and then the promo like with a uh, Savage running in and sort of attacking right just to get to Flair and like I get that with the angle that ended Slambury, but and then Savage cuts cutting the promo and. Uh, it just sort of says, like, sorry, my issue isn't with you, it's with Flair. Like, you love your dad, you'd have done the same thing. And Alex Wright just sort of murmurs, like, yeah, it's okay. Like, I didn't really like that at all. I felt, yeah. I felt bad for the guy. I thought, well, no, be, be a bit riled up. Like, have a go at him. Like, it just cost you. You're matching the tournament. This is a big deal. Like... I, I, I don't know. I, I did. That was probably the most invested I've been watching WCW ever. Was this little angle? I really didn't like it. Yeah. No. Um. Uh. Fair to all of the above. I think it's just. I guess it's just the fact that Wright is where he is on the on the WCW totem pole and Savage is so much higher up it. Um. That that I guess. But yeah. No. You're right. Uh, you, you make you make some very good points. I I, I do agree with Wright. He, you know. All right. It's it's going to be easier for him to look good. 
in a pair of matches against Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, than it is, say, if he's wrestling Paul Roma, as, as we went through in great depth in February, or if he's wrestling someone like, uh, I was going to say Jeremy Bauer, but he wouldn't wrestle him. Just, you know, uh, Jean-Paul Levesque, when they did that match in December, all that kind of mm. thing. Um, if you win, if you're in the ring with guys of this experience, you're gonna have a good match. And the story they told, it did put sympathy on right, I suppose. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought it was a, it was a, another good match, two for two for right this month. And I, 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 I will say on, on the Savage thing, I think I wasn't quite as, not confused, but I wasn't, I didn't have quite so much of a problem with Wright kind of letting it go in that, I guess if you're Alex Wright, not they thought about this dinner, but if you're Alex Wright and, and Randy Savage comes out and interferes in your business, it's like, okay, I'm going to let Savage go rather than doing anything else. Um, but yeah. Hi, Brain, that is the case. Yes. Alex Wright, unfortunately, was disqualified. Let's give you the bottom line right now. You're not putting these in the sun. You're a German rookie for nine. But today is not your day. Only because priority one for me is to take the nature boy out. Understand that? If you don't understand, you got a problem with me. You're a second generation wrestler. You love your dad? Yeah. All right. Nature boy. Cross the line. He messed with my dad. Now I gotta take him. It's my responsibility to do that. You got a problem with that? You got a problem with me? You tell me right now. No, I don't got a problem, Randy. If somebody would do that to my father, like Rick Flair did to your father, I would do the exactly same way. Because I love my father, like you love your father, and I got no problem. I understand him. Uh, Randy, you'll get your shot next week here against Flair in the tournament. Flair has got a problem with me. I got a problem with you. Respect, R-E-S-B-G-T. You got none for me. I got none for you. Next week, I'm going to take you all the way out. Done with Nature Boy. No more. You're not going to make it to the Great American Bash. I got your number. And don't buy any run-right bananas because you ain't going to eat them. You're out of here. And that will all occur. Stunning Steve Austin was involved in a walkout at WCW Television this month after refusing to job to Warrior Knockoff the Renegade, although it doesn't seem to have resulted in any long-term effects for him. He would, at tapings a couple of days later, end up doing the job for the Renegade after all, in return seemingly for reassurances for the reformation of the Hollywood Blondes. The story is the latest in a much bigger power play story between those who are in Hulk Hogan circles and those who were part of the company before he arrived. People like Austin, Brian Pillman, Lord Stephen Regal, Johnny B. Bad and others are seen as representative of wrestlers who have been around too long and given WCW's financial issues cost too much money relative to their position. Ric Flair as head booker, by choice or otherwise, seems to be the man fighting their corner. On the other side of the coin is the generation of talent who have come in since Hulk Hogan has arrived. People like The Butcher, Avalanche and Hacksaw Jim Duggan have all seemingly come in and taken the spots of the previously mentioned undercard wrestlers. While Rick Wilson, the man who plays the Renegade, has no history with Hogan, his role as the fake Ultimate Warrior puts him firmly in the Hogan camp. Look out for Paul White, who debuted this month at Slamboree, as the replacement for Andre the Giant in a similar type of position. The specifics of the Austin story are pretty much as they sound. 
He arrived at tapings and was scheduled to lose cleanly to Renegade on television. Renegade is being built up to face Arn Anderson at the Great American Bash next month and win the television title. In a sidebar to this, it's said that Alex Wright losing his undefeated streak to Anderson at Slambury was a sign of Hogan using his leverage to get Renegade into the championship picture. For what it's worth, Flair felt so bad about ending Wright's streak himself at a TV taping prior, he redid the match and had Wright lose by disqualification. Austin eventually walked out of the taping the same day, but what's more perplexing is that nobody was really sure who the person was who made the call for Austin to lose. The book was passed around and eventually on to head booker Ric Flair, who, in theory at least, was in North Korea, although a consultation of the calendar would have shown that Flair could and should have been at the tapings that day. Flair eventually returned and set about trying to talk Austin into doing the job. Anything else would have been a massive dent in Flair's already diminishing powers as booker. Austin, at that stage, still didn't budge, so his place was taken in the match by Tex Slazinger. He and Renegade proceeded to have a match reportedly so bad that it won't air. Some call it the worst match in WCW history. It was only a couple of days later that Austin was eventually convinced to do the job to Renegade and to Randy Savage. It's said that in exchange he had reassurances that the Hollywood Blondes will be reformed. And for our final discussion topic of the month, we'll, we'll bring Craig back in. Um, Craig, let, let's talk this Steve Austin story. Um, as well, Stuart wrapped it up quite nicely in the audio, so I won't really repeat what he said. Um, what do you think? It's not it's not a massive surprise that that Steve Austin's taken the stance that he has. I mean, you, you look at WCW and the in the 95 period and it, it is sort of trying to replicate the WWF of the, the 80s so he's clearly not happy with the, the direction of travel and takes a very principled stand I mean in, te- in terms of how that is for WCW as a business it's, it's not going to be great for them because he's one of their cl- very obvious up and coming talents but from a from his perspective, then can't really blame him. No, I mean the interesting thing, and, and thinking about it, I don't think I put this in the in, in the script for Stuart, so I'll, I'll fill in this bit of information. Is that last month they, you know, and there are there are wider WCW financial issues going on right now, um, in terms of they are looking to cut costs. We go back to the thing with Dustin Rhodes a couple of months back and all that, um, and they were they did mention that the fact a couple of months ago that they might be looking to to cut some of the wage bills and that Steve Austin was one of the higher paid guys in the company and that you know his might be a salary that they might look to cut in terms of he's a guy that's getting paid quite a lot but isn't sitting in the plans so there's all of that going on as well um, but yeah no it's it's all a it's a strange one in the sense that. And I know neither of you guys would have seen much WCW. You certainly won't see the, the the volume of WCW TV that I've seen. But we don't often get recognised guy versus recognised guy matches on WCW television. And Chris, invariably when we do, it's some form of screwy finish. So it's it's less that they're asking Austin to do the job for me. It's more that anyone's doing the job. Yeah, it's just a, a culmination of frustration with sort of previous booking and like lack of direction and then probably been offered like certain uh creative plans and they've never really come to fruition and then to sort of be relegated to this like jobber role like 
well, we've got plans for this guy, so we're just going to use you to lose to him on free TV. Like, the thing even... is, it's Renegade. I don't get the sense if he'd have turned up and they said, you're losing to Randy Savage clean. I don't think he'd have been all that bothered. I, maybe, no. maybe, you know, as I say, more the fact that, you know, people don't generally lose clean when it's established guy versus established guy. But I think if you went to him and said, yeah, here's Rick Wilson, um, you're losing to him. I can understand why he might be going. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, he's, I, I, like, I've sort of utmost sympathy with Austin in this in this situation. Like, feel like he's acting completely reasonably, really. Yeah, I mean, you you look at. You look at Austin over the last kind of six months, and this probably, well, maybe a bit longer. This goes back to when he first got beaten by uh, Jim Duggan at, I think, Full Brawl. And the one thing about Austin, and not much, not much of this has seen the light of day on television, is that there's always talk in, in The Observer and in The Torch that Austin is going to be putting something new. There were talks of putting him in the new Four Horsemen a couple of months back. There were talks of putting him with Harley Race. I think they did do that and then they, they split it off because Austin got injured. They were going to put him with Sensuous Sherry and then they paired her, her with Harlem Heat instead. You know, reforming the Hollywood Blondes, that thing's off and on again. Brian Pillman similarly has the thing where every month he seems to be lined up for something different and nothing goes anywhere. And it's like, you can understand why he might be getting more and more frustrated. Not that not that he's a guy who... Because, you know, if you're a guy at the bottom end of the, the roster, just a guy who's just there... Um, I, I can't think of a great example of that. Maybe a Johnny be bad type. Um, maybe you'd be happier. But I think it's almost kind of like the hope that's killing him. And the, the hope that, oh, maybe this is going to be my time. And then he gets in and it's like, oh, you're losing the Renegade. And that will bring to a conclusion this much. Uh, we are fighting uh, some technical gremlins, uh, so we'll wrap this up a little more hastily than usual. Firstly, Chris White. Chris, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, Chris, you are on Twitter. Yeah, uh, Chris White fourteen. Uh, that will be that. And and you've just celebrated Arsenal winning the cup final today. Uh, yeah. So, so you're in uh, fairly good spirits. Great day all round. Yes. Yeah. Not too bad at all. Nice, uh, nice four nil win for uh, for those looking for some slightly. Well, actually, technically, if we're in twenty years ago mode, uh, Everton won the cup this year. I looked that up earlier. Um, so, so yes, technically, technically, you didn't. Um, and Craig Wilson, Craig, uh, we had a bit of a catch up before the uh, for the start of the show. Uh, Craig, thank you very much for, for for coming back in. It's been a while. It's been far too long, Bob. It's been it's uh, it's nice to be back. I think. I think this is the first time I've been back since maybe nine, late nineteen ninety three. No, you did you did a couple of shows ninety four because you did Spring Stampede that like excellent WCW it. show, uh, and in many ways you picked a good time to uh, uh, to drop out because it's not got I as good as that since. Yes, uh, and then you came back in on a proper low, um, a real big low. Um, but I'm as looking uh, forward to coming back on uh, the nineteen ninety five Survivor Series, which is equal parts, low equal parts, cult classic. Excellent. Well, so I'm hoping to get you into uh, back into the roster a bit more. Um, but in as in as much or as little detail as you're happy to discuss in public, um, tell us where you've been. Yeah, well, really just sort of, I worked for the, during the referendum campaign, so that sort of took up out of the, the referendum campaign obviously for Scottish independence on the no side so that took up a lot of time and has alienated 50% instantly of your Scottish listeners and uh, 
yeah, so back now and looking forward to watching what is a really rubbish year of wrestling generally in 1995. Yeah, it, it's head because that's the thing. Like it, it's it's gonna get worse. That's because like WWF doesn't start all that badly. Um, I don't I don't recall Super Bowl being a horrendous show either in the sense that the main event's quite good. But it does look like everything's just heading downwards, with the exception of ECW, which which continues to kind of prop up the entertainment value of doing all this. Um, yeah. But yes, it is good. To, as I said, we've got King of the Ring next month, which I'm deliriously looking forward to, and an X number of WWF shows for the rest of this year. Uh, Craig, uh, you have... Well, I haven't really spoken to you since last year, so you, you've got other wrestling commitments. I know you've got your, your blog that you still do. Um, just that is, that pl- pl- is all. That is it. That is it at the moment. It's uh, ringdanbell.blogs. Uh, oh, sorry. You, you screwed uh, up your own plug, Craig. I mean, I'm going to leave this in, but but go again. Oh, awful. Sorry. Uh, you're, you're rusty. Mick That's your excuse. Mick Foley would hate me. It's uh, ringthedanbell.wordpress.com. It's basically a blog dedicated to 80s, 90s, early noughties wrestling. Uh, sort of the, basically the time that I grew up, uh, me and my, my circle of friends grew up watching wrestling and the idea that those were the halcyon days. Whether or not they are is uh, a discussion to be had further down the line, but in terms of where we are, it, it was a time that we that we watched the wrestling and we I I like uh, Survivor Series when it starts with twenty man tag teams. Uh, I like WWF when it contains sort of swerveaholic stuff from Vince Russo. Uh, so it's a it's a blog dedicated absolutely to that. Yeah, and I, I did recall one blog a few weeks ago. I don't think, I don't think you wrote it, but it was about uh, uh, Matt Bourne of all people, aka Dwight the Clown, aka Born Again in ECW. And that uh, there's one of your guys wrote a kind of a piece on that Born Again character that that appeared in ECW for maybe six weeks. You can listen to me and Dale discussing that on the ECW parts of shows. I think it's October, November '94. I want to say. Uh, and so there was a blog on on, uh, on Ring the Damn Bell about that and just about where where that went, or also where it didn't go ultimately born i think just end up taking a taking a different date with a different promotion one night we never saw him again um but that was another example of a of an ecw character that never really got famous but perhaps could have given his his, his former ties and what they were trying to do with it and um, definitely should have yes yes no i agree no it was, it was very very entertaining for while it lasted um but just didn't last very long and never really got the opportunity to go anywhere uh craig uh plug you got the, the the blog's got a twitter account and your own twitter account where people can find you yeah of course uh so yeah it's a uh, ringthedanbell.wordpress.com this time around i've got that right and it's a uh, ringthedanbell at uh and that the last l is a one at twitter.com so uh, it's it's all sort of quite retro banter, but it's uh, good, clean family entertainment. Yeah, if you listen to the show podcast quite regularly, that kind of content is going to be of interest to you. So I do urge you to uh, to check that out. Uh, also, plugging on Aaron, you can find me out, Bobby Bamber. Um, it seems to be more politics these days than wrestling. I think that's just an indication of what Monday stuff I'm watching. I.e., not very much. Um, uh, oh, at Wrestling Twenty RS on Twitter, uh, Wrestling Twenty RS on Facebook, uh, we're on iTunes, Wrestling Review, and all that stuff. RSS feed it's all on the website WrestlingTwentyRS.com. Got an email newsletter that we send out now once a month. Uh, that 
comes just as they know spam on that i don't know how to do it um so yeah you can get reminders about new podcasts we'll be going out probably tomorrow uh to your inbox and that will do that so also you if you're listening to this first as you perhaps should be given that it's volume one volume two you've got some wf stuff to uh to look forward to that's a a slightly better show than this, although certainly not anything great to write home about. You've at least got Bret Hart and Akushi to prop up that end. Uh, and then ECW. That, that's wonderful. Yes, that yes. That, that certainly is. Uh, and then ECW. It's a quietish month for ECW, but me, Dale and Chris managed to get about 90 minutes out of it anyway, um, somehow. Uh, but anyway, that will wrap up this month's show. We'll be back in June. Uh, King of the Ring. So looking forward to this. Heard so much about it. Uh, one of the things, like, I've heard so much negativity about it. I've got a funny feeling I might enjoy it. Um, just in a really weird sense. Either that or it is just so bad. Um, but yes, that, that, that's an interesting one. That most of these shows I don't go in with much. Um, kind of preemptive knowledge one way or another um, but we will find out anyway that will wrap up this month's show I've been Bob Bamber he's been Craig Wilson he's been Chris White uh, and until next time goodbye